Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Today, we're going to expose satanic deception that has crept into the church and believers are kept down and held in bondage as a result of these lies that the enemy has sowed into people and first into preachers and those preachers have taught taught their congregations and as such people are staying sick not because of God's will not because of a big devil but because of uh, the uh, uh, um, misinterpretations of scriptures which I'm going to get into I'm going to get into Paul's thorn in the flesh today. I'm going to get into why Elisha was in his last sickness and then died. I'm going to get into whether God sends sickness or not. I'm going to get into, I think I've written down eight, eight questions that I get the most when it comes to divine healing. And it's going to be an enlightening broadcast. This is going to be a teaching broadcast, but it's going to greatly help you. It's going to, it's going to assist you. It's going to blow the blinders of the devil off of your life. You know, the only thing that hinders people from receiving a break through is their access to light the bible says in psalm 119 the entrance of god's word brings light and it gives understanding to the simple so if if darkness is your problem if darkness is the root of sickness if darkness is the reason why sickness comes on people then the answer the solution the only respect that dark the only thing that darkness respects is the power and the force of light and the word of god psalm 119 thy word is a lamp unto my path thy word is a light to my feet Jesus said that his word is truth and ye shall know the truth and the truth, the truth known and the truth applied, not just the truth heard, the truth known, the truth understood, the truth that you receive and understand in your heart. That truth has the power to set people free, no matter what the devil has lined up for you. So I want you to take this time, share this broadcast, and we're going to get right in it. Before I move on, I want to read from Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18. Let's start with verse 17. He who speaks truth declares righteousness. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. In Proverbs 14, I believe it is, the Bible says that a true witness delivers souls. A true witness will deliver people. So that goes, you know, the opposite is true. That an, a non-true, an untrue witness a lying witness will keep people in bondage. And that's what religious tradition does. That's what some people, you know, they call it theological tradition. I don't care what some guy in the 1400s came up with. And that's been the status quo since then. I don't care what some guy in the 1500s came up with or 1800s and 1900s or 50 years ago or 30 years ago or just last week came up with. And that's been, that's been the normative thing to believe. Ultimately, we have to come to the point where we start to declare the word of God is the the, the the litmus test for truth. The word of God is my guide. The word of God is the final authority concerning anything that has to do with life. The word of God has the um, objective 
objective position over anything that I might think, over opinions, over other people's thoughts, over other people's counsel. That's why David said in Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. He's not going around trying to find everyone's perspective and point of view, but disregarding God's perspective and God's point of view. He says the opposite, but his delight, his love, his attention, his focus, his focal point his i his his mind is set on what the law of the lord and on his law he does meditate meditate that's a hebrew if you look at the hebrew origin of that word it actually says it actually means to like constantly be grinding and processing the truth constantly be bringing back to memory the truth constantly be uh, revisiting the truth, constantly having the truth at the forefront of your mind. That's why I was in an airport not too long ago, and I saw a Jewish man who was an Orthodox Jew, and they understand, they know how to meditate. They know their word, man. They, they're not confused as to what God has said. They know their word. And the reason why is because in Joshua 1.8, God said to Joshua, and also, He didn't just say it to Joshua, because if He just said it to Joshua, He would have said, I'm writing this to you, Joshua. Don't write it down in a book and make other people think that this applies to them. No, it applies to you. And He told Joshua that... You are therefore to let this book of the law never depart from your mouth, but thou shalt meditate on it day and night, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will find good success. So I saw this Jewish man in an airport, and he was just mumbling, mumbling, mumbling. And then he would take out his, his version of the Torah, and he would start reading, and then he'd put it away, and he would just see his mouth moving. You wouldn't hear anything coming out of his mouth, but he's, his mouth was moving, his mouth was, was mumbling things because he was just meditating he was speaking the word he was just repeating the word over and over and over and over again until he knew that it was sitting in his heart until he knew that just like David said I have hidden thy word in my heart that I would not sin against you there, there needs to be a time where you don't just study the word like it's some Newsweek magazine like it's your Facebook timeline like you're just reading through as if it was just a regular text there has to come a point in your life where you do like Paul told Timothy to study to show yourself approved where you incline your ear that you meditate on God's word David said in Psalm 119 oh Lord how I love thy law it is my meditation all the day someone came up to me not too long just last weekend and said I have one question for you I watch your broadcast we love it we, we, we love tuning in how is it that you memorize scripture how is it that when you preach it's like a machine gun how is it that when you open Open up your mouth. It's line on line, precept on precept, scripture on scripture. And I told them, I told them there's no short, shortcut to that. It's not that God just randomly, you know, said, you know what, I'm going to give him a supernatural memory. I actually had a life, a past life of drug abuse. My mind was like scrambled eggs. So in the natural, I had no ability to remember my uh, appointments that I have this afternoon. I had no ability to remember what I was even, what I ate last night, man. There, there's something they call potheads. It's called permafried, where your brain literally gets permanently fried. And there's people who suffer from that. And might have, maybe it's you watching online. But there's something I began to do. I stopped identifying myself with my past nature. I stopped, I stopped 
stopped uh, considering myself to be bound by what I had done, if Christ redeemed me, if Christ set me free, and if the Spirit of God lives in me, He quickens my mortal body. And part of my mortal body is my mind. So I declare my mind's quickened. My mind is supernaturally active. My mind, I have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. And I never pictured Jesus walking around Galilee, preaching a sermon, and then all of a sudden forgetting where He was at, forgetting the Scripture. I see Jesus as walk as a walking talking bible he was literally the word made flesh and so the bible says we have the mind of christ so i don't forget i don't i might have forgotten in the times past i might have been someone who was prone to forgetfulness but now that i have the mind of christ i can retain i can remember the bible says in john 14 27 that the spirit of god shall come he will teach you everything and he will bring to your memory everything that he's taught you the holy spirit will bring supernaturally to your memory everything that he's taught you but that's God's part to play you also have your part to play where you have to sit down daily and begin to absorb the scriptures Paul said that we are living epistles of Christ where the Holy Spirit writes these scriptures these chapters and verses down not on tablets made with stone but on hearts of flesh and not made not written in ink but by the hand of the spirit of the living god so you have to see yourself that way you have to stop uh, man i just forget i just don't know how you remember i don't know how to remember anything man my memory is really bad man i feel like i've got alzheimer's you keep talking like that and as such any information that hits your ears your brain actually in the even in the natural forget the supernatural element of the power of your confession in the natural Doctors have actually shown that what you confess is going to release signals in your body. So if you can confess yourself to be weak, your brain is going to send, is going to dispatch neurons, little mental warriors that are going to go throughout your whole body and tell your body, prepare to be weak, prepare to be tired, prepare to be fatigued. And the same goes with your mind. If you say, I can't remember, I forget, I don't know how you remember, your brain is going to, is going to take on that nature. Get ready to start forgetting. Don't, don't, don't position yourself to retain information. And as such, information is going to bounce right off your mind and you'll constantly be frustrated. But today, I pray in the name of Jesus, God not only is going to change your mouth to start confessing that way, a supernatural element will come on your brain. That just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, just like Stephen in the New Testament, when he goes off and pr starts preaching to the Jews that were grinding their teeth at him, he starts from, from Moses or from Abraham and gives a perfect chronology of the events from Abraham to Jesus without skipping a beat and not only that he was quoting hard scriptures to quote all by memory the same spirit of wisdom that was in Stephen is in you and I pray from today that's going to be activated in you and I got in all this just to tell you to start off by saying we have to make the word of God. You will never take time to read God's word if you're not absolutely thoroughly convinced and persuaded that this is God's word for me. This is not some t fairy tale. This isn't just to get us through life. This isn't just a book of stories so we can be entertained. This book is God's word to me this book is written by the by men but that were inspired by the holy ghost first peter one the bible says that no scripture is open to private interpretation but how did the scriptures come holy men of god wrote as they were moved on by the holy spirit to write so the spirit of god moved on peter 
moved on John, moved on Isaiah, moved on Ezekiel, moved on, uh, on Moses to write these things. Moses wasn't alive in Genesis 1. How is it that he understood everything from Genesis 1 to the day that he was in, in Exodus? And he, had, he was on the earth to actually experience. He didn't experience Joseph's life. He didn't experience Jacob's life. But he not only was taught through um, word of mouth, he by the Spirit penned down the Pentateuch. He, by the Spirit, wrote down, not by his own mind. He wasn't getting to decide what goes in. God led him. And so if you have an idea that if you're thinking that this book is a natural book, that men wrote it, and so it's prone to error. How many of you know? You know, I've said it. I've said it before. There was a, a Facebook post from a well-known church that came out and said that, that God's word contains truth, but not all, not all of God's word is truth. God's word is, um, is prone to error. That We have to understand they were flawed men that wrote it. And these people have this idea of the word of God that like it's, it's pretty much errant. That there's no... You, you have to... I mean, if you study the word that way, how are you going to know that the scripture you're writing is not errant, that is right, that it is truth? You're going to study the word, and that's how a lot of Christians do. They pick and choose what belongs to them. They pick and choose what they'll adapt into their life. They pick and choose what they think is right. But the word of God is not open to private interpretation. Holy men of God spoke. And the Bible doesn't say some scripture is inspired by God. The Bible says all scripture is God-breathed. The same breath that was breathe on Adam and life came into Adam that same breath breathe on the same on on the people that penned down these holy words and the spirit inspired them to write and the scriptures are profitable for our instruction for our training for our education for teaching for doctrine for correction and for training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped the word of God is not just to hear something new the word of God when it gets in you it transforms you first word gets in you it does something in you and then it does through you what could not otherwise be done and so i pray in the name of jesus as this word gets in you every question when it comes to the to physical healing when it comes to divine healing every question you had in your mind i pray that a, an answer would come to you today and that every blinder of the enemy every lie every satanic vice every demonic deceptive force that has worked overtime to keep you sick by getting you to believe in things that just simply are not true would be blasted off your life and as the truth comes that freedom would follow in the area of your physical health in jesus name if you believe that just write amen in the comment section questions on divine healing proverbs 12 and verse 18 there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword but the, ver the verse finishes off by saying but the tongue of the wise promotes health. I'm going to read Proverbs 13 and verse 17. A wicked messenger falls into trouble. If you're just joining in now, please help me by sharing this broadcast. Help get this word out to as many people as possible. This is going to tear down misconceptions on the word of God and will bring an answer that is scripture-based. My mentor, Tiff Shuttlesworth, always tells me this, and you've heard me say it before. On any matter that we discuss on this broadcast, I have already covenant with God, and I also want you to understand this. I will start in the Bible, I will continue in the Bible, and I will finish in the Bible. I'm not coming out reading one scripture and then giving my thoughts for the next hour and a half. I will start in the Bible, 
I will stay in the Bible and I will stick to the Bible and finish in the Bible. Proverbs 13, 17. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. So those are two scriptures in Proverbs, which Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And twice Solomon says, once he says, the tongue of the wise, so a wise person, you'll know he's wise because his tongue is going to promote health. He's going to talk well about health. He's going to speak well about health. He's not going to bash divine healing. And then secondly, Proverbs says that a good ambassador, which we are ambassadors for Christ, the Bible says in this New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Christ and we're pleading to this generation on behalf of God, be reconciled to Christ. And the Bible says a good ambassador, so there's bad ambassadors and there's good ambassadors. A good ambassador brings health, which shows you that a bad ambassador does not bring health. There's a lot of preachers that have bought on, that have created theological traditions and dogmatic statements that have greatly eschewed people's confidence in the, in the scripture. And as such, Mark chapter 12 says this. Mark chapter 12. So you'll never hear me speak ill of, of health. There's somebody, is that that health and wealth doctrine? First of all, what's wrong with health? People spend all kinds of money buying medication, prescriptions, uh, getting help from specialists and doctors, especially in America. You go to a hospital for 10 days and you have a $100,000 bill. You might as well have just gone to Bora Bora and just enjoyed that. It would have had the same amount of healing virtue done on your body. Bora Bora is like so nice. You feel healed when you leave. Might as well have spent your money there. So people spend all this money on health. They, they waste, you know, people... On the, on the other side, health and wealth. People spend all their time trying to create wealth. But then in the church, you have backslidden preachers that get up and say, is that that wealth and health, is that that health and wealth doctrine? Do you know that 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, this is John the Apostle, John who leaned on Jesus' bosom, John whom the Bible says was the disciple whom Jesus loved, John whom the Bible says was one of... The inner three was Peter, James, and John. This one knew Jesus. This one understood the heart of Jesus. He leaned on Jesus' bosom, meaning he was so tied and knit to the heart of Christ. He was actually the disciple, the last one that stayed by Jesus, uh, even to his crucifixion, even after Peter denied Christ. The Bible talks in Mark about a disciple that, that continued on, and people feel on... Uh, Theologians believe that that was indeed, that was actually John Mark. That was, not John Mark, that was John that was following Jesus to, to the end. That John comes out and says, Beloved, I would that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So the Bible never has anything good to say about sickness. But it has very good things to say about divine healing and about health. The Bible never exalts sickness in any way. The Bible actually says in Genesis 1, when God created man, when God created Adam, if God wanted Adam to be sick, if God wanted cancer in mankind, if God wanted blindness in mankind, he would have created Adam with one blind eye. He would have created Adam with a tumor in his leg. He would have created Eve with breast cancer. He would have created Eve with ovarian cancer. He would have created, uh, he would have just started off that way. But the proof that God hates sickness and the Bible only speaks of sickness in in that it is evil, is that when God created mankind and placed them on this earth and created all things, the Bible says it was very good and there's not one hint, there's not one indication, there's not one 
uh, source of belief that there was ever a sickness in the garden. There was no sickness in the garden of Eden. And then another reason why you should believe that God hates sickness and, and loves health, loves strength, loves healthy, vibrant people, especially that belong to his body. Because the scripture says in Ephesians 5 that no man hates his own body but nourishes it and cherishes it even as Christ does the church. We're the body of Christ. Jesus said he doesn't hate his body but he indeed delights to nourish it and cherish his own body. Another reason why you can believe that. In heaven there will be no sickness. In heaven there will be no disease. In heaven there will be no pain. There's it, sickness is the direct, it is, the, it is diametrically opposed to the will of God. And until you're convinced of that, there's so many people who know what the will of Satan is, they know what the devil's doing, but they have no idea what the will of God is. That's why I'm taking this time, and I'm going to go through eight questions that most people have when it comes to divine healing. And once the questions are answered by the word, then faith can exist. I don't, I don't go around saying, nah, no, nobody believes in divine healing anymore. Oh, this wicked generation, they're just filled with doubt. You know, there's a lot of preachers, that's what they do. They love to bash people over for not having faith. I don't do that because Jesus didn't do that. When he went to Nazareth and saw that they didn't have faith to be healed, he could do no mighty works there. Notice how it, does, it says that he could do no mighty works there. Notice how it doesn't say that he... He chose not to do any mighty works there. Notice how it doesn't say Jesus was actually angry at the Nazarenes, so he decided to not do any mighty works there. It says he could do no mighty works there, meaning that he tried, but it, couldn't, it didn't work. He could not do mighty works because of the people's unbelief. He was, he was figuratively bound by, uh, from, doing, from releasing miracles in that region because of their unbelief. But notice the scripture doesn't end there. What did he do? Unbelief is curable. Do you understand that? People say, well, is it because of lack of faith that they died? Or is it lack of faith that I'm not getting healed? Maybe. But if you have a lack of faith, it's not to beat you over the head. You can actually cure unbelief. How do you do that? Jesus taught us. Mark 6, 5. So he went about in the villages of Nazareth teaching, teaching. He went about in the villages in a circuit teaching the people. That's why the scripture says in Luke chapter 5 verse 17. Jesus on a certain day was teaching and many Pharisees and teachers of the law came. As he was teaching the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So you see as he taught faith was generated and um, amplified in the hearts of people that created an environment where healing power began to manifest. So if you don't have faith, do you know, faith is not saying, well, I know God's the God of miracles. How many of you know God is the God of miracles? Oh, how many of you can testify that Jesus is a healer? That's not faith. That's just agreeing with God's word. God's, <laughs> God's word. There's a lot of Christians that they mistake agreeing with God's word and believing with God's word or believing in God's word. Just agreeing with God's word. God's a miracle worker. Sure, the word of God says that. That's what God's word says. We're agreeing with it. There's a lot of people who say, well, I know I'm going to be healed. Why? Because I know God is a God of breakthrough. That does, that's not faith. Faith is, 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 is a spiritual force. And it is rooted in the living word. It's rooted in God's word. Why am I going to be healed? Well, because God's word says that when the brazen serpent was lifted in the wilderness, all the Israelites that looked to it were not only forgiven of their complaining against God, but they were healed in their body. 
And Jesus said, as the serpent was lifted up, I, the Son of Man, will be lifted up. So if the type and shadow of Christ was able to forgive and heal, then the actual Christ lifted up on that cross, if I'll look to that cross and see my sickness laid on Jesus, see my problems laid on Jesus, see the curse of the law laid on Jesus, then I too will find relief from the things that the enemy brought on my body. That's, that's what faith is. Faith is not just saying, God's going to heal me. Faith is, God's going to heal me because I've reasoned from God's word exactly why. You have to like almost take on the position of a lawyer. Some of the greatest preachers have been doctors, people that studied in law, and people that studied in medical sciences. Because they, they don't just say something. They find reason from the word of God. They try and connect scriptures together to create a case to show the people this is why the last day you ever suffered with sickness was yesterday. From today, you can see your legal right as a child of the Most High God is to walk in health and strength and vitality the rest of your days. And I, that's my prayer for you from this broadcast. The Word of God is the ultimate guide in life. It's the final authority on any matter. It is the final will and testament of God towards mankind. So I don't care what theological tradition says. I was about to read it in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 says this. Verse 24. Jesus talking to the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the day. So just because they have a PhD and a master's in divinity and they got three different degrees and they've gone to every seminary school on planet earth and they got an Oxford this and a, a Yale this and they, they even wear nice fancy glasses like a, almost like a, one of those monocles. That doesn't mean that they're qualified. Doesn't mean that they're, you know, most of the people Jesus called into ministry were untrained, uneducated, stupid fishermen. That's what the Bible says. They were stupid people. Stupid people. Acts 4.31, Acts 4.13. Now when they perceived the boldness of Peter and John and saw that they were uneducated, foolish, stupid people, they, they recognized them as having been with Jesus. So just being educated does not qualify you for miracles and does not qualify uh, that, shouldn't be the, that shouldn't be the test as to whether you listen to someone or not. Most of the people God chose in Scripture to speak His Word were the uneducated, were the unqualified, were the people who were the were-nots and had-nots in the world. But God chose the foolish to confound the wise. God chose the, the lame, uh, the, the, the weak, to confound the strong. God chose the things that were not to confound the things which are so that no flesh can glory in God's presence. So what does Jesus tell these bright men? And remember, Jesus didn't go to the University of Jerusalem. Jesus didn't sit at the feet of Gamaliel like Paul did. Jesus didn't sit under the leading Pharisees of the day. Jesus, they actually said when he started to preach, this man's not qualified. They, that's why they hated him. They didn't, he didn't go through the religious ladder that they had gone through to get, to get the crowds that they wanted to see uh, come in. But Jesus comes out as some carpenter, and all of a sudden crowds are pressing in because miracles, signs, and wonders, his wisdom was being justified by the fruit that he produced. They even said, even Pharisees said, we know that you're come from God. Even though we don't want to attest to it, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no man can do these works that you do unless God be with them. And they actually came to Jesus saying, how did this man know the word? How does he know the word? How can he be so accurate at dividing the word of truth having never studied? So he goes out and he tells these Pharisees, are you not therefore greatly mistaken because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God, 
nor the power of God. So if you don't know the scriptures, it disqualifies you. It cuts you off from experiencing the power of God. That's why it's important to study. That's why I commend you today for tuning into this broadcast. Because today, as the, as the Lord opens your eyes to the wonders of God's law, it's going to create a life, like David said, where goodness and mercy, not sickness and disease, goodness and mercy will begin to follow you down, or follow you after, uh, every day of your life. And another scripture... Jesus actually rebukes the Pharisees again. I forget where it is in the Bible, but he tells them that you have made the word of God of no effect because you keep to your traditions. So you can either choose to believe something that somebody said or wrote a book on, or you can choose to believe what God's word says about your situation. If you keep to theological traditions that violate and oppose, that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5, he says, I'm coming to cast down every stronghold, every imagination, and every thought and argument that exalts itself or opposes the word of God. That's the, contents of, the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. Paul was saying, there's people that have been opposing my word. There's people that have been opposing the word of God. There's people that have come up with their own dogmatic statements. And they've led people astray. So when I come, I'm going to use the weapons of my warfare, which are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of those strongholds. Those strongholds were beliefs people had about God that did not represent the scriptural point of view of God. So Paul said, I'm going to come and can't. That's what today is. Today is God tearing down strongholds that have been built up, that have made void the word of, of God, that have made the word of God of no effect in your life. As those blinders come off, as those strongholds are tear, torn down, the healing power of God is going to hit your body where you're at and you're going to walk free in Jesus mighty name whether the devil likes it or not you are getting up out of that sick bed and the healing power of God's going to restore every organ restore every tissue and restore every bone restore bone marrow restore men, me, your mental processes restore neurological order in your body in the mighty name of Jesus Christ so number one Number one question that I get is, does God send sickness on people? I'm going to correct this right away. God does not send sickness on people. God does not use sickness for his purposes. God does not make you sick to increase your faith. There's no other way to increase your faith but the scriptural way, which is in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. The scriptural way is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So sickness is not God's tool to build your faith up. Well, I mean, if I hadn't been sick, I, wouldn't have, I would never have faith to pray for the sick. The word of God is what generates faith, not sickness. I don't have faith to pray for the sick because I was sick. I have faith to pray for the sick because I've seen in God's word, Mark 16, you will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. I don't need sickness to tell me that. I have the word of God to tell me that. So I act on it. I move to do that. I saw what God did through the apostles. I've seen that it didn't finish with Jesus. Jesus said, John 14, 12, ye shall lay hands on, uh, John 14, 12, the works that you've seen me do, ye shall do in greater works. 
Because I'm going to the Father. And Jesus laid hands on the sick. Jesus had the sick recover. Jesus' hem of his garment was healing the sick. So I know Peter obviously believed that. Peter didn't have to get sick to start walking in God's healing power. Acts 5 says many signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. And there was, they were all coming together in Solomon's porch. Then you move on a few more verses. It says they were bringing their sick to wherever they heard Peter was there. That perhaps just his shadow would fall on those that were sick. And that they would recover. So Peter didn't have to go through some 19-month battle with cancer before he started to have faith to heal the sick. He knew from what Jesus had told them. Man, the world would be astonished with your life if you would pick up this book and read it and do what it says. That's what birthed T.L. Osborne's ministry. He covenanted with God. I'm going to reread Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in its order, and I'm going to, everything Jesus said we can do, we're going to do. Everything Jesus said we can have, we can have. Everything Jesus said we should say, we will say. And then one of the, not one of, the greatest healing ministry outside of Jesus was birth in T.L. and Daisy Osborne because they decided to, they didn't, you know, people that say, if I wasn't sick, how many of you know if God didn't send sickness on me? then I wouldn't have compassion to heal the sick today unless I had been through it. You have now made yourself Messiah and, not, and you've made Jesus irrelevant. You've made yourself the substitutionary sacrifice. You've made yourself the lamb that needed to be slain. Because the Bible says Jesus came to be our substitute. Jesus came to take our sickness. Jesus came to bear our sickness in his body. Jesus came to, 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 uh, um, to, to carry our pains and our infirmity in his body. Jesus came to do that. He was the substitute. So you saying, if I didn't get sick, I wouldn't be able to heal the sick. You're replacing yourself with Jesus and making yourself to be the substitutionary lamb of God. You're the one that was the mediator between God and man. And that's, that's blasphemy. Jesus already took it. That's what T.L. Osborne told a minister once because a minister came to him and told him that. You know, had I not been sick, it seems like every time that uh, we have a healing meeting, somebody in our family gets sick. And I think God does that because... If that wouldn't happen, we wouldn't have compassion for the sick, a continuous compassion for the sick. T.L. Osborne said, see the difference between me and you, because T.L. Osborne walked in supernatural health. He said the difference between you and me is that you believe that you have to take the sicknesses of the people, that you have to be the substitute for the people, that you have to carry the pains of the people, whereas I believe Jesus took the sicknesses of the people, and I just have to, ex I have to enjoy what Jesus did, and I get to tell other people the same thing. I get to tell people what Jesus did. I don't have to go through what Jesus did. I have to just tell the people. Do you notice how Jesus said in Mark 16, go and preach the gospel? He didn't say, go and hang yourselves on crosses. He said, go and preach the gospel. And tell them that if they'll just believe, they'll have everlasting life. And as you go, I'm not sending you empty-handed. These signs shall follow them that believe. They will cast out devils. They, do you think I have to be demon-possessed before I can learn to cast out a devil? I mean, follow that train of thought. Do I have to be a heroin addict before I can start setting heroin addicts free? Should I go and start trying out heroin and get laced and hooked on heroin so I can learn how to have compassion for heroin addicts? No. Jesus was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God who had no sickness as He walked the earth. And the, He didn't have to get sick before He can lay hands on the sick. He laid hands on the sick. He set the captive free. Not by anything else but, then the, but the, uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit 
is what does that through us. So God doesn't have to send sickness. If you have that idea that God is the one putting you down, God's the one that's pinned you down, first of all, if God sends sickness on you, why in the world are you taking medication? No, think about it. If God sends sickness on you, why in the world are you going to a doctor? Why are you trying to seek relief from something God clearly wants you to have? If God sends sickness on you, why in the world are you getting that surgery? You should bear that sickness, keep it, cherish it, and just ask God for more so that you can learn more, be educated more, and press on into maturity because God obviously has something better planned for you. Think of it. Houses, hospitals are no longer houses of mercy. They've begin, they have become houses of rebellion to God. If God sends sickness, then why is it that Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry healing the sick and raising people out of sickness and, and, and deathbeds? He would have been going against the exact will that God wanted for mankind and as such would have been in direct rebellion towards God. See, if people would just use their noggins, they'd, they'd be free from a lot of stupid thinking. It doesn't make any sense. There's no logical conclusion behind the thought of God sending sickness on people. You actually start to think of it. But then you hear ministers pray. Lord, we ask you that whatever your will is for them in this sickness, that it would be made clear to them. What do you mean whatever your will is in this sickness and be made clear to them? So you're confused as to whether, if you're confused as to whether sickness is God's will or the devil's will, perfect faith. The reason why you have to settle this in your heart is because when you start to understand that God's will is for you to be healed and Satan's will is for you to stay sick, then perfect faith can exist and the uncertainties diminish and you're fully persuaded that God wants me to be well. You'll fight the good fight of faith and as such you'll lay hold of that which Christ Jesus paid a high price for you to lay hold of. But as, as long as there's uncertainty, you're going to be like the waves of the sea, tossed to and fro. And let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. Does God send sickness? Literally, hell no. Hell sends sickness. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. So whenever someone comes up and says God sends sickness, you can literally reply, hell no. Hell, because it's hell that's put that thought in people's mind. And no, I'm not accepting that thought. Hell, no. God does not use sickness to bring him glory or fame. Luke 13, the Bible talks about a woman that was bent over double. When Jesus saw her there, lying that way, you know, totally tormented and contorted in her body. He didn't gather the crowd around and say, look at how this, my daughter is Suffering for the will of God and she's going to have, oh, if you could see her reward in heaven right now. I see it. Oh, I see it. What a great mansion she will have. Notice how he didn't do that. He called her to himself and he said, woman, be loosed. Be loosed of that infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And what happened? It was the religious crowd. Hey, hey, hey. There are six days on which men ought to work. See, religious ministries... They see healing people. They see ministry as work. I don't see this as work. I delight. I love doing what I do. I love telling people you can be made well. I love telling people that God is a good God. I enjoy. Man, the commandments of the Lord for my life are not burdensome. I enjoy telling people that Jesus came to give them life and life more abundantly. Man, I, I can't believe that God actually 
pays people to do this. I love doing this. I do it for free because what God did for me, no man can do for me. And it's too good of a news, too good of a good news for me to keep it in my heart and just benefit on myself. No, I'm going to tell this generation there's still a name you can call on. There's still a God in heaven that is ready on standby, willing and ready to heal you, to lift you up out of that bed of illness and bring health your way. I love doing this. There are six men, six ways on which, six days on which men ought to work. They, they always see it as work. You know, ah, this person's asking me to pray for this. I don't, what, why are you in the ministry? Can't believe they're asking me to go and do a hospital visit. Why can't, why are you in the ministry? Seriously, just quit. I didn't get into the ministry so I can be exempt from work and sit on my sorry behind, my blessed assurance all day and just play Xbox. I got into the ministry because God called me. And then two, I have compassion for the multitudes. I see them as sheep without shepherd. I see them as distressed. I see them as lost, dying, sighing, crying humanity. And the only way they're going to come out is if they have an encounter with this Jesus of the Bible who came and was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. There are six days on which men ought to work. Jesus looked at him and said, you, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Which of you didn't un untie your donkey to come here today? And which of you didn't untie your donkeys and other animals to lead them away to water them? And this daughter, being, this one being a daughter of Abraham, think of it. She's been bound by Satan for over, notice how it says, bound by Satan. So that shows you, that, that scripture alone shows you the origin of sickness and disease. It's not God. Bound by Satan. If it was bound by God, then Jesus would have said bound by God. But it was bound by, she was bound by Satan. And Jesus said, um, ought not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, these 18 years, be loosed from this infirmity on the Sabbath? Job 2.7, Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with boils. The Bible says in Acts 10.38, that you know of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by who? Oppressed by the devil. So I want you to write that in the comment section. Satan is the oppressor, Jesus is the healer. Write that out for me. Satan is the oppressor. Jesus is the healer. Does God send sickness on people? No. Matter of fact, one third of all sicknesses Jesus healed, he had to deal with a demon spirit at work. Sickness is to the body what sin is to the spirit. I don't tolerate sin in my spirit. And as such, I don't tolerate sickness in my body. Jesus came to restore the glory of Eden. Jesus said in Luke 11, Pray that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if there's no sickness in heaven, then I know it's God's will for me on the earth. Because Jesus didn't say, wait till you get to heaven to have heaven's will. It says, pray, pray that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not somewhat like it is in heaven, as it, exactly like it is in heaven. Number two, so number one, does God send, send sickness? No. Number two, is sickness a form of biblical suffering? Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, this is a huge one. This is a huge one. This, the devil works hard to make you think that this, there's like a ministry of suffering and this is part of it. 1 Peter 4, I'm going to read a lot of scripture, so pay attention. 
Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. They, they take this, they take this to mean that um, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, so we also should suffer in our flesh, meaning sickness and disease. That's not what Peter is saying. Peter is saying Christ suffered persecution in the flesh. Christ had to take up his cross, whipped, beaten for the cause of his kingdom, and was nailed to a tree because of his claim and the truth of him being the Messiah. And Peter's saying, if Christ suffered like that in persecution, you should also arm yourselves to be ready to suffer in the flesh. Be beaten. Be crucified if that. I mean, look at 11 of the 12 disciples were crucified. Uh, were were, were uh, persecuted to death, sorry. The only one that made out of it uh, was Paul, uh, was John, sorry. John, was. Tr they tried to boil him on Patmos, and they couldn't. They tried to boil him in hot oil. On, on, um, sorry, they tried to boil him in oil in Rome, or wherever he was. No, he wasn't in Rome. He was in Ephesus. And since he didn't die, because he had the revelation that the wicked one cannot touch him, and greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world, they end up shipping him to Patmos and exile him for the rest of his life. So John was the only one that didn't die from persecution. But all the other disciples, all the other apostles, they, I mean, you look at Thomas. Thomas was thrown, I think he was thrown over a cliff and then beaten to death. Uh, there were other people that were beaten with fuller's clubs. Peter was crucified upside down. So the, Peter here is telling the church at Rome that, by the way, are facing intense persecution for the cause of Christ, that you should be ready. Don't think that this call to, to Christ or this call into the kingdom is an exemption from suffering. There is Bible suffering, and he goes on to tell you what it is. That he no longer should live according... That he no longer should live the rest of his life in the, in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you no longer run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. That's one of the forms of, of persecution that Jesus said, if you'll come after me, you have to what? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. One of the ways... Uh, one of the, the, the forms of the cross that we have to pick up daily is people speaking evil of us. Peter is saying, and how many of you can testify? I know I can. When you got saved, people you went to get drunk with, people you went clubbing with, people you went and did all kinds of nonsense with and you messed around with and partied with. Then you got saved and now all of a sudden they think you're you're weird. They think you're messed up. They think they start to speak evil of you. They start to talk evil of you. They start to talk down towards you. They start to make you feel like you're like an alien or something. Try and make you feel like you're dumb and stupid and foolish and believe in what you're believing. Peter said, you're not, gonna ex you're not exempt from that. You should actually expect it. The more you follow Christ, the more people should speak evil of you. Because Jesus said, if the nations hated me and I'm the master, how much more do you suppose they're going to hate you, his followers? If the religious crowd called me the devil himself, how much more do you suppose he's going to call you his followers? And Jesus said in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 5, he didn't say... When you're persecuted, you should pray that you should stop being persecuted. He said, when you're persecuted, blessed are you. Blessed are you when they revile you. Blessed are you when they speak all kinds of evil against you for his name, his name's sake. Jesus, when he called Paul, he said, I'm going to show you what great things you must suffer for my name. The suffering was not in sickness. The suffering was in, 
and we'll read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He constantly being followed by these group of persecutors that made his life a living hell everywhere he went. Tried to set up a work and then the Bible says the Jews came in and poisoned the minds of the believers against the brethren and they stirred up a mob against Paul and they cast him out of the city. That was that was what Jesus said is going to come your way, Paul, and you can pray all you want. It ain't going to be, you can't pray off persecution. Persecution is going to come. The Bible says very clearly that in the last days, many will depart from the faith and there will be a wave of persecution. Jesus even said in Revelation, These are the, this is the blood of the saints, of the martyrs that have stayed faithful to me. You look at the, the churches in Revelation. The seven churches, many of them, he said, you're about to be persecuted. Some of you, the devil's going to throw in jail. And Jesus never said, pray that it doesn't happen. That's going to happen. But never once does he equate the ministry of suffering to sickness and disease. Not once. I'll skip, I'll skip on because there's a lot to read. So verse 12, beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange things were happening to you. If he was talking about sickness, then everyone in the church of Rome would have gotten sick. But that's not the case. He's talking about what? But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. What's Christ's sufferings? Bearing the cross of persecution to the end. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 14, this is where it makes it very clear. So all this suffering Peter's talking about he says in verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ. He didn't say if you're made sick by Christ. He said if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You know, I believe God gave me this sickness and I just, I really see it as a blessing. He doesn't say blessed are you when you're sick. He said when you're reproached and reviled for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when people hate you for my name's sake. For they did the same thing to the prophets of old. And the reward that is awaiting you on this earth and in heaven shall be very great. On their part he has been blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. So let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer. Don't suffer for things you're not called to suffer for, but as a busy, or as a busybody. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Because in the North American church, and at large, around the world, whenever there's not real persecution in a region, they take every suffering scripture and they make it interchange, the word suffering interchangeable with sickness. And they just replace it with sickness. But biblical suffering is not being sick. Why would God make you suffer with something he already laid on Jesus to alleviate you of? Why would God make you suffer with something he already laid on Jesus to alleviate you from? Why would God make you suffer that he already paid a high price that you should walk free of? Obviously, when the Bible talks of suffering, it is not talking about a sickness, a disease, a mental torment. Look at how Jesus dealt with it. Matthew 4. Jesus never saw sickness as suffering. He never wrapped his arm around the leper and say, hey, I know this sucks. But if you'll just hold on, you'll understand what I mean by all this. He went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. And his fame went 
Jesus came to bear the load of suffering humanity so that you wouldn't have to suffer another day in your life. And this fame went throughout all Syria. They brought him all sick people who were afflicted. And if you study the original Greek there, it literally means to be hit or receive a blow from Satan. Afflicted with various diseases and torments and those that were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them all. Sickness is not your lot in life. It's not what God, you know, we all have our form of suffering. Some people it's poverty. It means it's just sickness. Sickness is not a, a normal part of life. If you treat it as that, you'll stay sick. When you get older and you get that ARP magazine and you see, oh, when you're, are you 60? You'll notice that your eyes start to get a little dimmer and your ears. The Bible doesn't say Moses was 60 and his eyes grew dim. The Bible says he was 120 and his eyes didn't grow dim and nor was his natural strength abated. There's a different lot in life for those that are redeemed. There's a different story, a different covenant that God has cut with those that are redeemed, with those that are bought with the blood of Jesus, with those that are saved. Your life should look different as, uh, from those that don't have a redeemer. Your life should look different from those that don't have a healer. Your life should look different from those who don't carry the Spirit of God that quickens our mortal body. If God's Spirit's going about quickening people's mortal bodies, then obviously sickness is not suffering. I'll move on to the next point because I think I drooled that pretty good. Mark 10, 29 says, if any man gives up houses, brother, property, family, whatever, for my name and the gospel's name, the gospel's sake, he will in this life receive a hundredfold everything he's given up with persecution. Persecution is promised in the Bible. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul told Timothy. But that's not sickness and disease. So if the devil can get you to think it is, he has robbed you. He has disqualified you. He has kept you back and held you in bondage another day. But when this word, that's why he's kept you from watching this broadcast and even paying attention. But now as this word gets in you, it blows off that lying devil. It blows off every uh, misconceived notion you had. Man, you thought you had to suffer with it because God was working something out. No, Jesus already suffered with it so you wouldn't have to suffer for it. You wouldn't have to suffer with it. Jesus already suffered with it. Jesus already went through it. You don't have to go through it. Jesus already bore it. Jesus already paid the price. You don't have to pay the price again. Number three, was Paul's, and I'm going to hurry up, was Paul's thorn in the flesh of sickness? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to this. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Verse 22. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. He's starting to boast about what he's accomplished in Christ. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons. I want you to pay special attention. If I ever speak the word sickness or if I ever speak the word disease. In, if, if I've ever mentioned that in this scripture. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of water. Perils of robbers. Perils troubles of my own countrymen perils of gentiles in perils of the city perils in the wilderness perils in the sea in perils among false dread everywhere i went the perils followed me people were trying to uh the devil was stirring people up to try and squash my my work in weariness and in toil in sleeplessness often often in hunger and in thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness 
besides all other things. What comes on me daily? My deep concern for all the church. Who is weak and I'm not made weak? Who is made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. Again, he's talking about persecution. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Verse two, chapter 12, verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast, but I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, and he's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Such a man, God knows, was caught up in the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise, caught up into heaven, and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast, yet of myself, I will not boast, except in infirmities, in my infirmities, my weaknesses. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, and I will refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be, or hears from me. Verse 7, and lest I should exalt myself, or be exalted above measure, by the abundance of revelations that were given me, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. What was a thorn in the flesh? A messenger of Satan. The word messenger is angelos, an angel of Satan, a demon of Satan. To buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my Strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly rather boast of my weakness or my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest on me. So I take pleasure in infirmity, in reproach, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. For where I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is literally saying, I had an encounter with the Lord where I was caught up in the heaven and I received visions and revelations that are so deep, it's not even lawful for me to bring them up. I won't even write about them. I won't even talk about them because it's, it's amazing. I don't even have the words that I've gathered together to actually express what I saw. They're not lawful. It's not even lawful for me to talk about it. And he moves on to say, because of the abundance of revelations given unto me, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. That word buffet means to be blow upon blow upon blow. What was that? Read the context of 2 Corinthians 12. Remember in the original book, there was no chapter, there was no verse divisions. It was just a fluid book. It was a constant, it was a flow. And so if you read in 2 Corinthians 11, what we just read before, Paul talks about the blows that he received in his, earth, in his ministry, in his travels. How he was in fastings often, in labors often, in labors more abundant. He was threatened by death often. From the Jews, he was whipped, 40 stripes minus one, three times. And three times he was beaten with rods. And he was stoned. And remember when, when he went to Galatia, stoned and left for dead. He was three times. He was three times. At, at uh, shipwrecked and at the sea. A night and day I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. Talking about everywhere he went. 
uh, the devil, which we, we talked about, an angel of Satan, a demonic spirit, was stirring up the crowds. A religious spirit, really, was stirring up the crowds to persecute Paul, to run him out of the region. And so Paul is saying, that's my thorn in the flesh. And I asked the Lord, would you remove it from me? But three times, Jesus replied, I'm not going to remove it from you, from you because my power is made perfect in your weakness and my grace is sufficient for you. So then he said, I'll actually, I'm going to boast about what I've been through because it shows you that no matter what came my way by the power and grace of God I have overcome it all not once in that entire scripture does Paul mention sickness or disease not in the original Greek not in the original language no not the etymology of the words used not once could you trace it back to sickness or disease or physical infirmity or plague every time and remember, I said in Acts chapter 9, when Jesus called Paul, he said, I'm going to show you what great things you must suffer. There's going to be persecution. You're going to be a chosen vessel of mine, but I'm going to show you what great things you must suffer for my name's sake. Paul lists down in 2 Corinthians 11, everything he suffered for the name of Christ. Jesus never said, I'm going to make you sick. Because of what you've done for my church, I'm going to make you sick. No. So you can see that it was not a sickness. It wasn't a spirit of infirmity in his body. It wasn't. And if you study the whole Bible and locate every time God used the words thorn in the flesh, it always, without exception, referred to a people group. Numbers 33, 55 says that the people, the Amalekites, will be to Israel. They will be an irritant in their eyes, a sore in their eyes, and a thorn in their side. Speaking about the people that Israel had the chance to annihilate, had the chance to wipe out. God told them, don't leave one alive. But because they disobeyed, God then said, they're going to be a thorn in your side for the, rest, for the rest of your history here on the earth. Thorn in the side. It referred to a people group that chased down the, peop the righteous people. And this is no exception. Peter was saying, uh, Paul was saying, I've received a thorn in the flesh, a pain, literally saying, I, I got a pain in my rear. These people have been a pain in my rear. I mean, look at it. Look, look at this. Acts chapter, where I have to find it. Here, Acts chapter 17. Paul preaches in Thessalonica, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some evil men from the marketplace, gathered a mob, and set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, trying, seeking to find Paul. Then you move on. He goes to Berea, Paul preaches, and they search the scriptures, and they start to believe. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. And immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to sea. Then you, you go to Acts chapter 19. And the Bible says, Paul... Unusual miracles are done by the hands of Paul. Handkerchiefs and aprons are brought from his body. But what do you have here? About that time, verse 23, there arose a great commotion about the way. And a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, made, no, made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called all the workers of similar occupation together, and he, he steered up a riot against them. And you finish the chapter. Paul had to leave. So what's Paul's thorn in the flesh? A sickness? Absolutely not. It was a group of people that kept following him everywhere he went to make sure the gospel didn't come out of his mouth. Verse uh, number four, 
questions on divine healing? Question number four, does God want to heal me? Matthew chapter 8. This is a huge one. Matthew chapter 8. If you're just tuning in now, I'd encourage, you'd encourage me if you'd share the broadcast and get this, this word out to as many people as possible. Even if they don't catch, you know, they'll catch the replay or whatever. Even if they don't catch us live. Verse 1, Matthew 8, 1. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came, worshiping him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, before he healed him, he put out his hand, touched him, and before he healed him, he corrected his poor theology and said, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So before you can receive healing today, you have to answer this question. Does God want to heal me? John 5, Jesus go to the pool of Bethesda and he finds, finds a man there who had been lame uh, uh, in an in a infirmity, a sickness for 38 years. And when he finds him, he says, do you want to be made well from this infirmity? So the question is not on God's end, whether he wants you well. The question is actually on your end, whether you want to be made well today. Do you want to be made well? He asked him. You know what the man replied? Sir, I have no man. Constantly looking to man's help. Constantly looking to the specialist. Constantly referring, yeah, I want to, but the doctor said. Constantly looking at the doctor's report. Jesus doesn't care what the doctor said. Jesus doesn't care what the specialist said. Ultimately, he's the great physician. He's the balm in Gilead. And what he says goes. But you have to connect with his word and say, I don't, I don't care what they said about my case. I don't care what they said that this thing's going to go from bad to worse. I don't care what they're saying the next three months is going to be the worst months and the most pain is going to come out. What matters most is what God has said concerning me and God wills for me to walk in health. God wants me well. God wants me strong. If under the, how do we know that? If under the old covenant, he brought them out with silver and gold and there was none weak or feeble amongst all their tribe, then how much more under this new covenant shall we walk in healing? Turn to Exodus, I won't turn there, but I'll quote it. Exodus 15, 22 to 26. They go to a, uh, they, they leave Egypt. They're now free. They're three days in the wilderness and they have no water. So they start to complain against Moses and the Lord. Is it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? Do you know what Moses said? He started to cry out to the Lord. Lord, show me a way out of this. You know what God did? He showed him a tree. He showed him a branch. And that was a type of the cross. Study any theology book, Catholic theology book, Presbyterian theology book, uh, Methodist theology book, it all, they'll all agree. That was a type of the cross. That was a type of what Jesus would come and do for us. And the Bible says that God told them and gave him prophetic instructions. Take the branch, take the wood and cast it into the bitter waters of Marah. And it shall be that I will clear the waters of any bacteria. And I am this day establishing a statue with my people Israel. I'm this day clearing any misconception about my will concerning their physical health. And here's what he said. If you will diligently hearken to my voice, obey my word, keep to my statutes, that I will not allow any of the diseases that I laid upon the Egyptians or that I permitted to come upon the Egyptians, I'll not let any of them come your way for I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. 
That's Bible doctrine. Well, if I'm going to believe that he's Jehovah Tzikednu, if we're going to believe God for our salvation from sin because he's our righteousness, Jehovah Tzikednu means the Lord our righteousness, then I also have to believe that when God revealed himself as I am the Lord your healer, I'm Jehovah Rapha, the same way he meant he's Jehovah righteousness, that he hasn't changed, he's still our righteousness today, then as he was our healer back then, he's still our healer today. The same Jesus that bore my sins in his body on that on that tree is the same Jesus that bore my sickness in his body on that tree the same cross that alleviated me from the burden of sin is the same cross the same Jesus that alleviated me from the burden of sickness and disease you can't choose one and throw out the other healing from sickness is part and parcel in the gospel it is not the cherry on the top it is not some special thing God does for some and ultimately you got to wonder whether he wants to heal God we believe God does heal but we just believe that he's selective he's he has been selective and he selected all you know how you can go through some forms and you can go one by one and then all, or else you can have a little box at the top that says select all and wait you don't have to waste all that time going one by one that's what Jesus did he didn't go one by one try well I don't know if I want that person healed he just selected all just like the gospel for salvation from sin is universal the gospel for healing from sickness and disease is universal the same way the bible says and all who call upon the name of the lord shall be saved is the same thing that all is the same way that all that touched the hem of his garment were healed were healed the same jesus he does not have an exclusive religion the only exclusivity to the gospel is that you, the only um, the only the only pre-qualifier to Entering into the exclusivity of the gospel is that you believe. But once you believe, the, everything that is in this word, anything, you know, the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. One of the promises God has in the Old Testament is I'll heal you when you're sick. And in Christ Jesus, we now connect to that flow of healing power that when it runs through our bodies, it riddens us from every trace and symptom and bacteria and bitterness of sickness and disease. Does God want me healed? Yes. A bold yes. People think God heals for some like selfish purpose. God heals because of compassion. Matthew 4, 4, 14, 14. The Bible says he looked on the multitudes and felt compassion for them. And so he healed their sick. The Bible says that when he looked at the leper, he was in, I think it's in Mark's account. He was moved with compassion and touched him. Healing is not something God chooses to do when he feels like it. Healing is an actually an expression of God's compassion that flows from his heart towards mankind. Healing is not some special, some burdensome task that God does and he doesn't really feel like doing it. Healing is an overflow of the love of Christ towards you. You know... Going back to like people that believe that sickness is like the ministry of suffering that we have to go through. Let me ask you something. Because a lot of them, they use Hebrews 12. Now, how many of you know no discipline is pleasant for, the, pleasant for the present, but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of joy to those that have been trained by it? You know, the Bible says that God chastises everyone that He receives, and He disciplines us as sons. And so some of that, sometimes that discipline is sickness and disease. The original word for discipline there is the same word in the Greek that they would use to train or to educate or to, to, to guide and to lead into. So when the Bible says he chastises us or he disciplines us and he disciplines it, remember the Bible says he disciplines us for our profit. 
He's not talking about late. I mean, think of it. A teacher. A teacher is called to discipline, to correct, and to train up students. A teacher, though they have many methods of discipline, not one teacher in the right freaking mind would put sickness on a child. Could you imagine you came home one day and uh, your, your, son, your son comes home one day and they say, man, I acted up in, in, in school today and uh, my teacher ended up injecting me with a deadly, a deadly dose of poison and so, you know, it's not going to be a good night. What would you do? You'd run to that school and take that teacher's head off. In the same vein, do you think God is, tra <laughs> do you think God is training you up by killing you? What good are you dead to him anyways? Then even as a, you know, as a parent, you train and raise up your kids. The Bible says you're to train up a child in the way you should go. In all the methods I have to train my kid, whether I spank him, whether I put him on timeout in a corner, not once did I ever think I'm going to put diabetes on him and that'll teach him. Not once. And I, which the Bible says, am evil in comparison to God's goodness. Know how to treat my children with, and give them good gifts. How much more shall your heavenly Father give good things and treat his, his children well? Do you know the Bible says what great love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God? You're God's very own child. He's not disciplining you by injecting you with some deadly poison. He's not disciplining you by getting the devil to make you sick and squash you down and strip you of strength. No, the Bible says the way he trains us is by his word. His word is more than sufficient to teach you and equip you for any lesson that you have to learn here on this earth. That's why the Bible says they came to hear Jesus and be healed of their infirmities. So that shows you when they were hearing him, he wasn't, they weren't leaving there sick as they heard him. Man, do you hear what Jesus talked on today? Ever since I heard him preach that sermon, I, I just have high blood pressure. No, they came to hear and the result of their hearing was healing. Hallelujah. Does God want you healed? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. Ver, uh, question number five, why don't more get healed? I've come up with five reasons. Number one, some outright just reject the message of the gospel. They don't want it, anything to do with it. I don't believe in that healing message. They just cast it out. Ah, you, you, if you had known what happened to my uncle this and my auntie that, you wouldn't believe in all that. All that is, they just want your money, those preachers. So they reject the message of healing and they disqualify themselves from ever partaking of its blessing. Number two, some are ignorant that God wants them well. They've been taught improperly. The Bible says that because of the ignorance of your heart, you shall, Ephesians 4 they, they shall be disqualified from partaking in the power of God. The Bible says, because of the ignorance of your heart and the blindness of your heart, Ephesians 4, let me read it. Ephesians 4, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Alienated from the power of God because of the ignorance that is in their heart. So some people, they're ignorant. They're not taught. They've never heard a sermon like this. They've never been taught that God wants them well. They've been taught that God can heal, but He might not want to heal you. And as such, they've never had faith to reach and violent take, violently take healing down by force. So, and and if, ever, if ever there's uncertainty whether God wants you to be made well, perfect faith can exist. And if perfect faith can, faith can exist... Jesus said, as your faith is beat unto you, you'll never experience what you don't believe. What you believe, you're empowered to become. Number three, some doubt God's willingness to heal. Some have a hard time believing God loves them. 
Some have a hard time. That's why some of the most powerful anointings I've ever seen in a meeting when I've preached is when I talk about the love of God without even talking about healing, just telling people God so loved you. He gave His only begotten Son. How the Bible says very clearly that though your father and your mother have forgotten you and forsaken you, God has written your name on the palm of His hands. Then all of a sudden, whatever they're suffering with, they, they know that they can cast their cares on God because they don't see Him as some resentful God and Father. They see Him as a caring, loving Father. And as they cast the care of sickness on them, they end up leaving healed in your body. That's why when you preach the love of God, perfect love casteth out all fear. And doubt has its root in fear. Fear that God's not as good as He says. He is. But when you start to see that God is not only as good as He says He is, He's even better. He's, he's a, here's no possibility of evil in Him. He is the Lord who is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. There's no shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shifting shadow or variant of change. What God said He is, He is. And He's not, he's not that to everyone else but you. He's that to you. If He's a healer to everyone, He's a healer to you. If He's a redeemer to everyone, He's He's a healer and a redeemer to you. When they start to see that and absorb those truths, all of a sudden, the devil loses his grip on their life and they walk healed. So some people doubt God's love and willingness to heal them. Number four, some are living in sin. Isaiah 59, is the Lord's arm shortened that it cannot save? Is his ear deaf that he can't hear? But your own sins have cut you, up, has, have cut you off. So sin in your life will rob you of the blessing of God. Not only is doubt and unbelief the robber of God's greater blessings, but sin carries death. And until you get rid of sin, sin still has a legal right to get rid of you. But when you get rid of sin, the Bible says the wage of sin is death, but when you get rid of it, the free gift of God, you receive Christ, is life everlasting. That word is zoe, which means the life of God. Everything God is, is life is eternal life. Everything God is, everything He carries, God is healing, God is life, God is joy, God is health, God is peace. Everything God is, the free gift of God in Christ Jesus, when you receive it, it comes on you. And number five, the most important reason I believe people don't get healed is preachers don't preach healing. Preachers do not talk about healing. They stay clear of it. They avoid it at all costs. Lest somebody doesn't get healed or they don't want to be controversial. Because if I tell people God wants them all healed and someone doesn't get healed, I'm going to have to deal with them. Or now I'm going to have to start doing hospital visits. Or now I'm going to have to actually start fasting and praying to have power to actually you know, break sickness off people. And so they don't preach it. But you notice Jesus preached it. Mark 2 says he was preaching the word and there was such a multitude that gathered at the house he was in there wasn't room to receive people even at the door and there was there was four people four friends that had a one mutual friend in common his name was Marcus I believe it wasn't but for the sake of the story as they heard Jesus preaching the word faith must have come alive in them because Jesus wasn't just teaching now how many of you know that life throws you lemons and you know the best you can do is make lemonade and just make out with whatever God you know launches your way in life just Whatever cards have been dealt your way, just, you know, try and make it through life. Jesus wasn't teaching that uh, sometimes, you know, God wants to heal people. Other times he has some, you know, mysterious way to work things out through that sickness. He was teaching God's will towards mankind to heal the sick. How do we know that? How could those four friends have had faith to go out and get Marcus and drag him 
to, to the house where they were at, where they were, and then there's no room to receive them, and they didn't stop there. They were so convinced it was Jesus' will to heal that guy today, they end up cutting a hole in the roof and laying him down at the feet of Jesus. So obviously, Jesus didn't preach. How many of you know God says yes sometimes? Other times, He says no, and sometimes He just says, hold on, I'm coming. Wait, maybe. He didn't preach that. He preached in such conclusive terms that four men had absolute confidence that if we can just get, even if there's a crowd, if we'll cut the roof in, the cut the roof open and lay him down, we know that that guy's going to get healed today. He's going to walk. He's going to walk. And Jesus, seeing their faith, rebuked them because he said, you honestly, you're trying to twist my arm. You think faith is just going to get you anything in life? No. He saw their faith, was pleased, and said, son, take up your bed and walk. Acts 14, Paul goes to Lystra. And there's a certain layman listening to him preach, an impotent, one who had never walked from his mother's womb. And he heard Paul preach, and Paul saw that he had faith to be healed. Well, how could he have faith to be healed unless Paul was preaching on healing? If faith comes by hearing the word of God, then obviously Paul was punching, embedding into that man's spirit faith for divine healing. And he said, stand up straight on your feet. And as he did... His ankle bones and feet were made strong and he began to run and a great miracle was wrought that day. So you'll never have manifest in your church what you don't preach and teach to the people. If you don't preach miracles, you will not have miracles. You know how many times there are churches, God, we believe you're the God of miracles. And today's sermon is going to be how to have uh, three keys to maintaining friendships in life. You're not going to have miracles preaching on three keys to maintaining friendships in life. You have to preach the word, what God has said on the miraculous and the seed of the word will get into the hearts of people and it dies in their heart and it begins to grow up. A seed, when it is planted, it dies, then it grows up and it produces the harvest according to the seed that's planted. You can't sow apple seeds and reap orange trees. You have to sow, if you want orange trees, you have to sow orange seeds. In the same vein, you can't reap healings in your church if you're sowing doubt into your congregation. Start to sow the right seeds and you'll start to, to reap the right harvest. He, Jesus always preached for a manifestation. He didn't just talk. That's another reason why people don't get healed. They're taught and overloaded with teaching and then there's no time to minister. Jesus didn't just teach. He taught, he preached, and then he laid hands on people. He ministered life. And too many churches, there's no room for that. They think that the end of their sermon is actually the goal of preaching. Just finishing your three points and getting the people out by 33 minutes. The end goal of preaching is to, to manifest. Jesus preached towards a manifestation. So you have to learn, if you're a pastor watching, to preach for a manifestation. And until something starts manifesting, don't stop preaching. Number six question, why are some healings immediate and others progressive? Many, I, I believe, I've, I thought of this yesterday, many set their faith to receive immediate healings and that's why as your faith is so beat unto you. Some people, they don't have faith to receive immediately. They just believe God that they'll be healed over time. So as a result, God heals them over time. Some people put a, like that woman with the issue of blood. I know that if I'll touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be made well now, here. I'm not going to have to wait till tomorrow. What God's promised me, I can have it now. So she did. 
place a demand on that word, and as such, the word produced for her what she believed the word to produce for her. She immediately was made well, and she felt in her body that she had been made well of that affliction. Some people don't do that. Other people, they're taught. How many of you know healing is progressive and stuff? And so they have progressive healing. Some people's hearts aren't in a position to receive healing. In that they don't have an understanding of the doctrine of divine healing yet. And so God works with them. God will work with you. As you're progressively taught and you progressively receive the word. And then total faith where you start to empty out the trash can of religious tradition. And absolute faith, pure faith comes alive. Then the healing kicks in. But he'll work with you. He'll progressively work for you. Because God wants you healed. Whether it's immediate or whether it's progressive. God wants you healed. Someone asked Marianne, does Satan hinder your healing? Not if you don't let him. Satan will heal, hinder your healing as long as you say Satan can hinder your healing. But Satan can't hinder anything. He can't hinder a, a child of God. He, just the same way he couldn't stop you from receiving Christ for salvation, he can't stop you from receiving Christ for healing. In all my years of preaching, I've been preaching for five years, I've never seen, as I gave an altar call, a, 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 a green smoke rise up, and all of a sudden a red-tailed devil start poking people back to their seats with a pitchfork. As they came forth and made a choice to serve God, the devil couldn't hold them back. He had to release them from their grip. You've been transferred out of the dominion of Satan. You're no longer under his domination. You're no longer under his governing. You now stand in the kingdom of God. He can't hinder you. The Bible says... You shouldn't give a foothold to the devil. Why people have progressive healing? Some people would go out and waste strength on their healed body on lavish, sinful living. That's another reason why people don't get, you know, it seems like their healing is being delayed. Because if you're trying to get healed so that you can go back to the clubs, why, why would God heal you? If you're trying to get healed so that you can continue smoking cigarettes without pain in your chest, why would God heal you? If you're trying to get healed so that you can, uh, you know, continue sleeping around and all that, why would God heal you? If you're trying to get healed so you can use your body for unholy service to the devil, God has, God has no obligation to heal you. You have to dedicate your body to the Lord. Present your body a living and holy sacrifice before God. And Lord, when these legs come back to life, I'm going to run for the gospel. When, these, when this heart gets healed, I'm going to run for the gospel. And to prove to it, I'm going to start preaching that gospel now. Sanctify your flesh to the service of God. And you'll see how God, God now has like skin in the game. Not that God does it because He wants to use you. God will heal you because He loves you. But it also does help, just like Hannah. Lord, if you give me a, a child, I'm going to use him for your kingdom. I'll dedicate him to, and consecrate him to service to God the rest of his days. And what happened? God gave her a, a, a male son by the next year, Samuel, who became a, the greatest prophet in Israel in that day. How do we put a demand on the healing, on the healing power of God? I'm going to get through that, Marina. Number seven, when will God heal me? And that's what, that's what I'm going to get. How do you put a demand on the healing anointing? How do you put a demand on the word of God for healing? You have to understand Proverbs 3, 26 and 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Don't tell your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow when you have power to help him today. God is not a hypocrite. What he told you to do to others and how to treat others, God will treat you the same way. God's telling you, if you have power to help someone, someone comes to your door and says, man, my kid's 
uh, th- th- we don't have any food to feed my kids. Could you please spare me a couple of dollars? And you just send them away and say, well, come back tomorrow. I'll have some for you. God actually rebukes that type of attitude towards helping people. Well, God's not a hypocrite. If he's asking you to not send people away when you have power to help them, how much more do you suppose he won't send you away when he has power to help you? And God's not going to be more powerful tomorrow than he is today. And God won't be more willing tomorrow than he is today. If your faith says yes to today, God will not push to tomorrow something you're ready and willing to believe him for today. God's not going to be more of a helper tomorrow than he is right now. He is willing. His hand, if you can see in the Spirit, has been by your side. Just grab it and believe. Touch the hem of my garment and put a demand like that woman with the issue of blood. How did she put a demand on the anointing? She said to herself, if I can touch, I know I'm going to be made well. She made an absolute statement. I know, not maybe I'll be made well. I know, I know I'm going to be made well. And that faith is rooted in what? We're not believing God to heal us one day. That's what the Old Testament saints believed for. They believed that one day God would send a Redeemer who would take stripes on His back so we can be healed. We're not looking forward to that day. We're looking backward to what Jesus Christ accomplished for us at the cross. His stripes have already been laid on His back. And until Satan can get to heaven and take, remove the stripes off Jesus' back, he can't prevent you from being healed. That's why you have to see. You have to see yourself well. You have to see yourself as legally been bought by a price. I belong to God. I'm God's possession. I'm God's God is my owner, and anything that defiles this temple, anything that hinders healing from flowing in my body, anything that makes sick this body is actually an illegal infringement upon my rights and freedoms as a blood-bought, sanctified, royal priesthood set apart by God Himself. Hallelujah. That's what happened to me. I was on my bed listening I was on my my couch listening to healing scriptures from an evangelist that said, by his stripes we're healed. Then he quoted in Matthew 8 that he took our sickness, carried our pains. Then he quoted in 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes you were healed. Looking backward in Isaiah, he looked forward. So he said one day, by his stripes we'll be healed. In Matthew, Jesus came and fulfilled it. That's why it says he took and, and carried our pains and sicknesses and infirmities. And then in Peter, brother Peter looked back and he said, by his stripes, ye were healed. Not by his stripes, we're still going to be healed. How many of you know one day healing will come in the next life? No, healing's not for the next life. Death is not my savior. I'm not waiting to die to get healed because death didn't die or take stripes on his back for me. Jesus died and Jesus took stripes on his back for me. Death is not my savior. Jesus is the savior of my body. And if Christ already paid the high price for me to walk in healing then good luck to any devil that stands in my way that's why you got to stand up and say I'm gonna that's why Jesus told the people he didn't say well just wait till it manifests he told them stand up pick up your body pick up your staff pick up your mallet and walk Peter and John took the man lame at the gate called beautiful and lifted him up then stand up straight on your on your feet in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth I minister the healing power of God to you right now and his ankle bones were strengthened so I tell you in the name of Jesus you watching on this broadcast how do you activate your faith how do you turn your faith loose for healing I didn't just want to go through questions on divine healing so we can be educated today no I was preaching for a manifestation of God's power and that power is going to manifest in your body today but you have to turn your faith loose how do you do that 
First start to declare. First start to confess. I will. I am well. I am healed. If Jesus took my sickness, then obviously this sickness in this body is a lie. If Jesus already carried it, then I don't have to carry it another day in my life. And anything that would suggest I have to is a lie from the pit of hell and I'm breaking free from that lie. And then number two, start to act on your faith. Don't carry yourself like you're still sick. Don't sit in that sick bed. Don't stay down in that wheelchair. Get up. Get up. Get up in the name of Jesus. I command you to rise up and let the healing power of God hit your body from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. By his stripes, I release healing anointing like electricity, to sh like a shock wave right through your body. And anything that's been dead, any organ that's been dead, any organ that's been suffering, any organ that's been dysfunctional, it comes back to the original order of function as it was in Eden in the name of Jesus. So shall it be in your body in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I speak the same over mental depression and mental torment and mental anxiety and panic attacks and schizophrenia and OCD and bipolar disorder in the name of Jesus Christ. What medication can't do for you, my God is doing for you right now. In Jesus' name, I release, I turn loose healing power in your mind. And I command every devil, every oppressor, every satanic agent, every vice of hell that's been sent your way to keep you in bondage. Hands off, devil. Be free. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And I'm going to finish off with one last question. Do I have a gift to heal? Nobody has a gift to heal. There is the gifts of healings, which is a manifestation in a service. A church service or in a crusade, the gifts of healing can hit. But it's not something you own. I don't believe you own any gift. I don't believe you own, I don't think you have, you're entitled to own any gift. I don't think they're badge of honors that you just put on your arm. And, hey man, I just got the gift of tongues today. Praise the Lord. It's not something God drops haphazardly on people. The gifts of healing is a manifestation of the Spirit for the profit of people that are sick in that meeting. So when you preach the word of healing, the gifts of healing can manifest. But nobody owns a gift. So you don't have a gift to heal. I had someone write on the post before, so I'll answer you. My son has, I believe he has a gift to heal. Because when he lays hands on people, they get healed. That, that's, not, that's not a gift to heal. That's just faith. Jesus didn't say, and I'll, I'll bestow certain gifts on certain individuals, and they'll lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. He said in Mark 16, 15, those who believe in me, these signs will follow. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. James 5 says, if any among you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church, and the elders will pray over them, the prayer of faith, lay hands on them, anointing them with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. So it's not something, it's not some ministry that's exclusive to an individual or certain people God raises. No, there's just people that believe God's word for healing and there's people that don't believe God's word for healing. There's people that are absolutely convinced that wherever I go, I'm anointed to lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover and there's other people that still have doubt concerning that. So do I have a gift to heal? No, nobody has a gift to heal. You just have to learn to turn that faith loose by acting on the word of God and the same God who confirmed the word preached through the hands of the apostles by sending signs and wonders and extending his hand to heal. That same God will confirm. He watches over his word to perform it. God's watching over people that will believe his word so that he can intervene and confirm that word with practical power which will release people from practical problems. 
And I believe God's going to use you to do that in the name of Jesus. I believe there's some people watching me right now. You've either always been convinced of what I've talked about today or today something came in you where you're absolutely and thoroughly convinced. And now you've been equipped by the word of God. Adequate for the good work to heal the sick. God's going to use you to heal people. God's going to use your hands like nuclear power to blow off sickness in people's bodies. God's going to use these hands as weapons of mass destruction to terminate and exterminate. Like an exterminator comes into a house to exterminate exterminate bugs. God's going to use you to go into people's houses, meaning their physical body, the temple of the Holy Ghost, to exterminate anything that would defile the temple of God. God will use you as you begin to speak the word, as you begin to declare the word. And I'd also encourage you to buy this book, Healing the Sick. I'm not at home or else I'd send it to anyone. I'd send it to people, but I'm not at home and I won't be home till end of July. So, but if you, if you can buy this book, Healing the Sick by Teal Osborne. I read this at least once per year. It used to be called Healing the Sick and Casting Out Demons by T.L. Osborne. And uh, it, it, it's an amazing book. Start If you want to be using this, start to, you know, people that are used by God are not just randomly selected. They've, they've studied to show themselves approved. They, Paul, the reason why he had such miracles. The Bible says in 2 Peter, Peter testifying of Paul. That there's a wisdom that Paul operates that I don't even have access to. The Bible even says, Paul wrote to Timothy, When you come, bring to me my notes and bring my books. He was given to studying the Word of God. He was given to, the, to, the, to absorbing divine Bible doctrine so that he can stand firm in the faith. You'll only be as strong as your knowledge of the Word of God. And on the flip side, you'll be as weak as your knowledge of the word of God. So make a decision today. I'm not going to be a lazy Christian. That's like one of those penguins that opens up their mouth and the mom comes and regurgitates everything. I can't go to the gym for my wife. I can't eat for my son. If I just put him in a room and say, just stay there and I go and eat and then I come in 40 days later and he's dead, which that'll never happen in Jesus' name. But I'm saying, if I go in and I, well, Man, I really thought just me eating would, would nourish your body. No, you have to nourish yourself. You have to eat yourself. You have to train yourself. Nobody can work out for you. Nobody can breathe for you. If I tell you, hey, stop breathing. I'll breathe for you for the next hour. Just take a break. You'll die. I, you have to breathe for yourself. You have to take responsibility in the development of your faith. And when you do, you'll be strong. Faith is compartmentalized. Oh, I mean, this guy's making it sound like I have no faith. You can have faith in Jesus Christ and make heaven. You can have faith. There are so many good-hearted, sincere Christians that die sick. There are so many good-hearted people that, that have faith. There's some people who have faith for prosperity, but they're sick. There's some people who have faith for healing, but they're poor. Faith is compartmentalized. And any area you see that there's a deficiency of faith in, in your life, you should inject the, the word of God that carries faith in that area so you can build yourself up. It's like going to a restaurant and the steak was amazing, but the salad sucked. And you say, oh man, that restaurant sucked. Why? The salad sucked there. Well, the restaurant didn't suck. The salad sucked. It was a side, a side dish. That's how some people think I'm like, oh, they're saying that we're bad Christians if we don't have faith. No, I'm not saying you're a bad Christian. You're saved. You're blood bought. You might be walking in victory in a lot of areas in life. But God wants you to walk in victory in every area in life. And the way you do that Whatever is born of God has overcome the world. And this is the victory, even our faith. 
Faith brings the victory. I want you to write that out in the comment section. Faith brings the victory. It's Healing the Sick by T.L. Osborne. If you're watching today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that right now. You don't push this off to tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. We named our ministry Salvation Now. That's why I have this t-shirt right here. Now's the day to be saved. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Give your life to Jesus and you'll see how God will turn your life around. God, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And your life might be in turmoil right now and there might be not even one sign of peace. But as you join hands with that nail-scarred hand, the peace of God is going to flow to you and He'll give you peace like a river, a peace that the world can't give you and the peace that the world can't take from you. So come to Jesus today. And where you're weary and heavy laden, He'll give you rest. Pray this with me. Pray this from the bottom of your heart. Say it with, like you're convinced. Jesus is my Lord. Father, I come to you today. I believe that you raised Christ from the dead. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. I believe that you sent him to wash away all my sin. And I accept that gift today. Come and live in my heart, Jesus. Where I was weak, make me strong. Turn my life around. Fill me with your spirit. Touch my mind. Heal my body. Let all things become new. Heaven is my home. God is my father. And I'll never turn back. I'm moving forward and upward from today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me. Salvationnow.ca Salvationnow.ca The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. Get it to me. I, I want to get that form to me. I want to hear from you. And on the bottom of the page, there's a, um, a video that I entitled Four Basic Things Every Christian Must Do. It's going to help you a lot. It'll help you get started. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.